Hello, everybody. Today, I am so excited because today I have the guest of all guests. She's the most amazing woman. She is not the usual kind of woman you've ever met. And I'm going to tell you why. She is married to a lovely man for like 34 years, I think. She'll tell us if I'm wrong after I'm done introducing her. She has three beautiful daughters. And this woman is so dedicated to education and getting such a beautiful career um, that she got her bachelor's degree when she was 30. Okay. Three kids, bachelor's degree at 30. And then she got her master's degrees when she was in her 40s. And then she didn't stop there. She got her PhD in her 50s. And I am so privileged to have her because she's my sister. So I am so excited to welcome Ann Trescott. And I'm just going to throw that out there because it's so exciting. PhD. And <laughs> I'm so proud and honored for her to come on and speak to us about the education system. Um, Anne is the director um, uh, assistant, director assistant to the California Gear Up. So we'll learn about that more. And that is why I want her on this podcast today, because she's doing a lot of work behind the scenes to educate our children. So I think this is a very important podcast for her to enlighten us of what's going on behind the scenes. So welcome, Anne. I'm so happy you're here. Thank you, Mary. Thank you for that kind introduction. Yes, your numbers are off a little bit, but that's okay. If we round them around that, it's about right. So we're all good. I'm very happy to be here today and share whatever I can to help support um, others' understanding of what's uh, going on in the education system. And specifically to California, I work in California. That's great. I know. And, and you've got so much knowledge because we've we've done long road trips together. And <laughs> I'm always asking Anne, pickling her with questions. And she's she's more than willing to answer these questions. And she's so passionate. So I think this is going to be really fun. And a lot of people are going to get um, some great some great tips. Um, first thing, can you tell us what the California gear up means? Yeah, so um, Gear Up is actually an acronym. It stands for Gaining Early Awareness and Readiness for Undergraduate Programs. And um, pretty much every state has a Gear Up program, at least one. Many have more than one. And they are federally funded grants, um, specifically targeting uh, low socioeconomic uh, families. So schools who have more than uh, more than 50% of their families are uh, considered poor, um, gear up targets them and supports them. And what we do is we support them to open up post-secondary options for their students. And when we say post-secondary, what we mean is after high school um, that they have options available to them to go and do whatever it is they want to do. If they want to go off to college, they can go off to college and they're ready, ready both academically, ready mentally, ready socially, right? So they got it. They can walk on a college campus and go, I've got this. I can be successful. But we also, knowing post-secondary doesn't have to be a university setting. It can be certifications in areas like a practitioner nurse or an IT person. It could be um, if you wanna go into welding or something so that whatever tests or whatever they're gonna throw at you so you can go have that option, you're prepared and ready to do that. 
Also the military, fantastic careers in the military. They test kids when they get out of high school to go in the military. What pathway do you want? We want our kids to have the most options so that they can be successful. So this program is that it's a federally funded. I work in California. I work on a state grant, meaning that we work across California. There are other types of gear up grants that are specific to regions. And we have probably 30 plus different gear up grants in California. But ours is the, the state one, the one that works across the state. So are you doing this in the elementary school and all the way up into high school or how? So good question. We actually work um, in middle schools and high schools. And mm -hmm. currently we work with 30 middle school and high schools. We call them feeder sets. And here's why. We believe post-secondary education does not start in high school. You can't start having those conversations in high school if you really expect your kids to be able to be prepared and succeed. It needs to start down in middle school. Um, our grant starts in sixth grade. Now, I think personally, it actually starts way earlier than that, but we only got so much money. So we can only support so many students in so many schools. So we support sixth through 12th grade, and we can even go into the 13th grade, meaning whatever options those children take uh, after high school, we can actually go and support them a little bit there, or at least put systems in place to support them at those levels. So middle school and high school are the areas that we're supporting. So are, do you have any tips for the kids that, um, so let's back up. So this program is in, where would we find this program? It's not in all the schools, yeah. right? Like you said, it's only in the like schools that need an extra help. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what are tips for like you could give, because I believe like you just said, it's important that it starts at a younger age, right? You want to start that path at a younger age. Mm -hmm. So what would you say? As you, your daughters are brilliant. You have three brilliant daughters. They, they've yeah. all excel. They're all going to be PhDs, whatever, <laughs> master's degrees. They're just awesome kids. Thank so you. where do you think we should start and start educating our children, getting them excited to get be educated, getting them excited? What are some tips you can give to us about that? Well, um, so... I love that you said it that way, excitement to learn and excitement in education, because that really starts in the home, right? It really starts with families to kind of foster in kids curiosity. And I think curiosity really is the key, right? Asking questions and opening a dialogue with your kids if you're, if you're um, in care of kids. Um, but the same is for schools as well. We, I think, in my opinion, what I've seen um, in my work, curiosity is kind of dead. Like kids don't mm -hmm. seem to be as curious as maybe they were in the past. I'm not sure. But I know that they're not asking a ton of questions. Like we need to help kids to say, question everything. Remember when they're little, you're like, mom, why is the sky blue? Mom, why is the ocean, you know, wet? Why is, you know, kids, little kids would do that. Yeah. Well, at some point they stop doing that. And yeah. we learn by asking questions, by putting ideas together. That's how our brain works, right? We ask a question, we get an answer. It mm -hmm. sparks something in us. We have connectors in our brain, sparks something in us, and it goes in another direction to ask another question. And that's how our brains grow, right? It's these mm -hmm. connectors in the brain. They're dendrites. We keep, keep asking those questions, keep getting confirmations or going in a different way. 
if kids are not curious, and so that would be my main strategy I would share, foster curiosity in your kids. If you're an educator, foster curiosity in your lessons. Your lessons need to be rooted in student questions, right? And be okay as an educator if you don't know the answers. Be okay as a parent if you don't know the answers. That's cool. We've got a lot of technology out there that can help with that. But don't you go look at it. Look at the technology as your tool together. Because mm-hmm. now you're really developing students' curiosity and avenues for them to, to get answers. And what I always say, you know, communication is key in education, communication and relationships, those two are, are key. But in communication, when we think about communication, it's not a, I ask a question and you give me the answer. That's only the first very minute level of it. Then the next part is me as the asker of the question, what's my next question? It has to be that right? Because then when you're doing that dialogue back and forth, you're actually narrowing in on what you want to know or understand. And sometimes it moves you into other directions. And that's super cool. So curiosity for me is probably the biggest strategy that you can, you can really foster. And I love that you say that because that is, you don't need money for that. You don't need anything. And and once you start, you know, and I think a great tip is too, when you have your young child, you can start sparking that curiosity in them. Hey, how do you think that ball is going to roll down the street? Do you think it's going to go straight? You think it's, I'm just going with a lame thing right, here. Right. I, saw like yeah. I saw a ball. That's why I came up with this. Perfect. <laughs> There's your curiosity. <laughs> right. And it's like, you know, you, as a parent, we can start going, oh, aren't oh. you interested how that was made? You know, and so I don't think we, we don't need to have big bucks to get our kids curious, No, but I do think that we do have a problem, just like you're saying about curiosity that stops. I think a big problem of that is, is our, the phones, the smartphones, Mm -hmm. there's too Mm -hmm. much um, technology around them that they can, you know, just kind of check out. Right. And, And they're not using their brain anymore. Right, right. And, and think about that, what you, what you just said. Why? Why is it that we're using our phones in that way? Why is it that students are using their phones in that way? And I would say it's because we as a society, and you can go micro with this, you can go through the um, you know politicians, then go school level, then go teacher level, counselor level, family, whatever. We have failed in helping to teach our kids how to properly engage in technology. Mm. And, and we've caused a disservice for them. Um, and, 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 and we have another big technology that's um, in the news right now. Everybody's talking about it. It's not new, but it now is gaining a lot of, um, a lot of uh, voice. And that is the artificial intelligence world, AI, chat GPT, and all the other platforms and things. And um, the the fear, there's a lot of fear around that, right? And, mm-hmm. and some may be substantiated, some may not. I, I don't know. Uh, I'm not an expert at all in, in that. But as any good educator would do, and I believe parent, I have been researching it and diving into it, trying to gain an understanding so that I can support the educators across the state in how to address that in strategies and ways and open dialogue on how we address this artificial intelligence. Because it is already having an impact in education. It's already having an impact in, in our lives. 
And I was in a, um, a webinar last week, maybe two weeks ago. I don't know. Everything's blurred. <laughs> I was in a webinar and it was specific to this. And it was specific to educators in, in AI. And the um, presenter was fabulous. And he said, the worst thing we can do is pretend and ignore it. Mm. Pretend it's not there and ignore it. That's the worst thing we can do. What we should be doing, and to your point about smartphones, same thing, is helping teach, helping educate, helping have a dialogue about this tool. That's all it is. It's a tool and it can be a very good, very powerful mm -hmm. tool, but can also be used not in a way that's conducive to students learning, right? Right. Or society at large. But what we don't want to do is bury our heads. And there's a big fear, especially in the um, secondary and post-secondary levels, that they're going to bury their heads and ban it. That's the worst you can do. It's out there. It's like what they did with cell phones initially in schools. They banned cell phones in schools. They didn't instead address it by, here's a tool. Let's figure out the best way that our students can use it and engage with it. Right. And make that part of their tool belt for use. It's the same with this AI thing. You've got to have a dialogue and put that as a tool that they can use. And I've seen amazing examples already of how artificial intelligence can be used by students in the classroom and at home and how it can be used by educators. It's, it's an amazing tool. But if you're not educated on that and you're not having dialogue about that, it could go to the dark side. And we don't want that. So do you mean the dark side as like in cheating? What do you mean by the dark side? Yeah, plagiarism, cheating, doing all your work. You never have to do anything anymore. For example, um, so this is really, of course, having impact right now, especially with AI on, on like writing essays and researching or whatever, right? And so you basically could put a prompt in, in chat GPT or whatever platform, and it'll come up with a very nice essay written, whatever level you want to write it, right? right. Um, it may or may not be accurate. And they do that disclaimer, right? This may or may not be accurate because of where they're pulling their information. And so, of course, now that's why there's a big talk about this. But quite frankly, and I taught mathematics for years, in mathematics about 15 years ago, we already had to address this because we had online tools that students could type in an equation and say, solve it and show me every step. And then wow. they just copy it down in their homework. Mm -hmm. And so we had to have conversations in the math world about what is homework? What homework should we be giving students now? Because that's not it. Mm -hmm. Because all they have to do is put it into one of these online uh, platforms or app and it'll solve and do everything for them. There's no learning happening there. No. This is a ridiculous practice. We had to switch. We had better switched <laughs> what that practice is on homework. And, and, and we did uh, for the most part, the schools that I've been engaged in working with, yeah. we've shifted, right? What that homework actually looks like and how to engage in the technologies out there. It's not bad technology. We just have to figure out the best way to educate our kids on how to use it. It's kind of like driving a car. You wouldn't just stick a kid in a car and say, have a great day. <laughs> yeah, it's the same with this. You have to train a child on how to drive a car correctly, right? What yeah. are the parameters to driving a car? What's the safe way? How do you be a defensive driver? It's the same with all of these um, tools and smartphones are it as well. You have to train them on how to use it wisely. Now. Parents have a responsibility in that too, because a lot of the phone use is happening outside of school hours and mm -hmm. in their home. So it's mm -hmm. up to parents to, again, educate. It's up to parents, again, to 
put, you know, parameters around that, that the kid, here's the thing that's important. The kid has to buy into it. It's not a top down, here's your rule, although you can do it that way if that's your style of parenting. But for me and what I have found in my own life with my own kids and in the classroom, mm -hmm. it's better to have a dialogue to say, what do you think is a good parameter? What do you think is a good way to approach this? Let's discuss it and let's put our rules together, our, our guidelines or protocols or whatever you want to call them for our family. And families need to be doing that. That's what they need to do, in my opinion. Have that dialogue together, say, you know, mom, you're right. We need to, da, 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 whatever it is. And I think that is brilliant. That is a great tip to give parents because now you're not saying you need to do this, 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 this. It, there it is again. It's being curious. It's putting it all together. What's going to work for you? What's going to work for mom? What's going to work for your education? Because yeah. like, how do you, how do they go in after using, um, I'm going to say it wrong. IT, IT chat, uh, chat GPT. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm that <laughs> so, <laughs> but there's lots of them so i'm not picking on chat gpt right. just to be clear there's tons of them. there's many many different platforms that are all artificial intelligence so we should probably use those words artificial, artificial intelligence, intelligence. Yeah. there yeah. we go um so how do you so that's the main concern what i what i'm hearing is the main concern is when they do get that test they're not going to know what to do right with mathematics with writing an essay or anything Yes, because there's no thinking. And that's that's the key to all of this. And, and this is what motivates me and what I do and where I really know we need to go, especially since I'm in classrooms a lot, is students not only are not curious, but they also, there's not an environment for the most, in the most cases, there are some that are, um, where students are challenged to think. Now, if you are working with your child, you're a parent or to your child, and you're trying to figure out these protocols and coming up with these ideas. And if you're dialoguing it, kids are thinking. You need to get them in the thinking process, right? Mm. And, and, and I have this little, little thing that I go through in most of my work and I challenge educators too. It's called think it through. Mm -hmm. Like thoroughly think it through and let the child thoroughly think it through with you, right? What does it look like? What can it look like? What are, what is it um, impacting? What are the areas it's impacting? Is it your sleep? Is it your relationship with your uh, friends? Mm -hmm. Is it your relationship with your family, with your mm -hmm. dog? I don't know. Like, what is it impacting? And let them think it through with you on mm -hmm. what are good parameters for use of technology. It's not going away. No, it's only going to get more and more. It's going to get more and more. It's here yeah. to stay. And so we yeah. as humans are very adaptable, right? We've right. evolved. We, this is another evolutionary chain for us, right? Now it's time for us to evolve to an even higher level of technology in our world. Right. And we need a, we need, and that's what's so great about your program because you guys can go along and say to the educators, because that's what you basically do. You right. educate the educators. Um, right. Yes, most of my program. Yes, we also do some direct services to students and families. So we kind of do both. Oh, that is so awesome. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And so what what is your biggest challenge um, getting through to the educators that the, the new ideas you, your program has? Do you ever have any challenges getting it into oh. the educators? Um, daily. Um, <laughs> but but um, it's not really so much in getting through to educators. It's, um, you know, uh, well, 
one big thing, as you can imagine, with working with schools across uh, the state and educators is that they don't have a lot of time. Like time is a very precious commodity for them. So for us, a challenge is making sure that we are able to engage with them in, um, in, in something that makes sense for them in mm-hmm. their days or in their academic years and stuff. Mm-hmm. So we always have to be very flexible um, with that. Um, and then, you know, supporting them, in, educators in whatever, whatever their needs are in any ways that they do. Now, one of the things I should mention is the approach we take to education is called a systems approach, meaning that it's not okay just to work, for example, with your math teachers and support their learning in the classroom and what they're Mm -hmm. doing. It's good, but it's not going to impact systemically the system. Mm -hmm. And so if the teachers leave, that learning leaves with them. Oh, Jesus. So we have to be more thoughtful about how do we approach this in all the systems or as many as we can that impact student learning. That is, yes, uh, content, right? Uh, teaching and learning, math, English, those things. But it's also leadership. You have mm. to have courageous leaders who are willing to dialogue with you and willing to open up their practice as well as the leaders. It's also interventionists, right? Folks that intervene on behalf of the child to assure their preparedness, their readiness, that they're getting all of the resources that they need in mm-hmm. order to be successful, right? Mm-hmm. So we have that intervention piece in our program as well. We also have a family piece in the program and a community piece because we know families and community are key. And yes. California has a really nice initiative called the Community Schools Initiative, which speaks to this idea of the importance of families and communities in the education of our children. So Mm -hmm. we take that approach. So you can see we're kind of touching on lots of things that support students. You know, a lot of people approach uh, education through the term achievement gap, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, there's a gap in achievement between these specific different focus groups, right? Mm -hmm. And you can put in whatever focus group you want. And there certainly is. But I approach it that way, as well as opportunity gaps. Many of our students have not had the opportunities that other students have. So how do we as educators provide, open up those opportunities and resources so that they can be prepared and can succeed? That's another piece that we work with our schools. Wow, that's incredible, Anne. Do you just love what you do? I do. I know. Yes, I do. I really love what I do. Um, I One of the things that I cringe about is, you know, I've been in education for a number of years now. I'm not going to say how many, but a number of years. <laughs> and um, I cringe when I hear educators say, I've been doing this work for 30 plus years, 35 years. Da, 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 and I think, oh, I'm sorry for you. Because the inequities that you've seen and you've worked on for 30 something years, I, when I look at the data, I'm not seeing there's some movement and I know you've made impacts, right? Right. But we're not there yet. And so I am a data person. My background is in data analysis. I've done this state, federal and international conversations and all that about data and interpreting data and what to do once you interpret that data, just information, education information. And when I look at that, I'm like, ah, I'm not done yet. Right. There's too many inequities when I look at that data. Right. And I always say to folks, I'm not done 
until those inequities are gone. Yeah. I love that. Dedication, I, dedication. Yeah. Yeah. What's your word? Pre uh, it starts with a P. Perseverance. Perseverance is my word. That's your word. I always, whenever I'm going, oh God, I think of you. I'm like, geez, she can do it. I certainly can do it. And that is true. And, and, and let me just tell you a little why that's true. Growing up, which, you know, Mary's my sister. So we're clear about that. Growing <laughs> up in a very large family, if you've heard any of Mary's, uh, you know, work, she will talk about her family. Um, <laughs> The way I see saw my childhood and uh, myself moving forward is I'm average, okay? I'm very average. I'm average height. I'm average looking. I'm average intelligence. I'm just kind of average. And I'm, you know, I, there's 10 of us in my family, 10 siblings. I'm number six. You can't be more average. I mean, right, <laughs> right in the middle, as middle as you can get for 10, for an even number. Anyway, let's not get started there. But- I I'm average. And so what do average people or people who perceive themselves as average, what do they bring to the table? Mm. Well, you tap in to the skills and talents that you've been given. Every one of us has skills and talents. You tap into those. You got to figure out what those are. The way I did it was through education, right? And a lot of meditation and reflection, but you tap into those, you know, those skills and talents that you have so that your averageness can be used in a fruitful way. It takes perseverance mm -hmm. to do that. It does. It takes perseverance and a belief that you can do it. Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you, little, um, what do we call it? Nagging Nelly comes in to mm -hmm. say, you're not good enough. Mm -hmm. You're only average. How dare you think you can go do whatever it is you want to do? For me, it was higher education, right? How dare you think? And then my other side says, just persevere. Don't listen. Persevere, persevere. And you don't have to be perfect. Perseverance is good. Don't be a perfectionist. You mm -hmm. don't need to be a perfectionist. Put that aside. I have tendencies towards perfectionism. Don't say anything, Mary. I know what you're saying. <laughs> you have tendencies towards that. <laughs> Put that aside. And I've had, that's been the challenge for me is always putting that aside because I am raising kids with my incredible husband as I'm going through education, as I'm trying to make an impact. And so I had to put aside the perfectionist nagger of me and just say, persevere and work right. through that. Right. Because I, I, I've seen you and you, I admire you so much. I've always admired you. You've always just gone you know through so the name of this podcast is actually um retrieve your retrieve your power right mm -hmm. so what you just said i think just summed it up about um retrieving your your power back because once you do start going down that net nate yeah. nagging nelly you're like oh my gosh oh my gosh and you just start e and you're yeah. like wait a minute yeah. yeah wait a minute so would you say that's the way you kind of retrieve your power back it takes you a couple moments or does it take you like a couple hours or are you like a couple days like sometimes i am <laughs> so actually that's an ongoing um aspect and, and that's honest yeah, it's daily. It's honest. Um, I have what I call my secret weapon. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I have the Holy Spirit on my side and um, I call on um, that spirit 
all every day, all the time, um, to guide me, to encourage me, to give me the words that I need to say, the attitudes, the way I should present myself or not. Um, every single day, every day I meditate on that. And it is, it is amazing. Yeah. That power, that retrieval, um, for me, it's through the Holy Spirit. I'm like, oh, this is crazy. Because I've had times where I'm like, I can't do this. I am not, I do not have the power. I don't mm-hmm. have the power. I need you to channel that power in me and um, direct me and let me be smart enough to know that's what you're doing. Because that's what happens sometimes. It's like right in front of you and you're like, oh, it was there. Oh, I didn't even see it. So uh-huh. you have to be able to pull that in to say, oh, okay, I do need to go in that direction. And, and in that meditation and in that prayer and in that communication, listen, right? Be silent and listen. And the dialogue is amazing when you do that, if you can yeah. bring yourself to that. But that's not something that happens occasionally or rarely. This is a daily thing for me. And when I know I'm going into something important, I'm going to go and and speak to an educator, or I'm going to work with my team, mm-hmm. or um, you know whatever aspect I'm I'm on, I definitely call on that retrieval, that power retrieval, and say, "Hey man, I got this big thing, man. I need your help right now. You got it. I got it. We're good." No, I love that because that's how exactly how I work too. It it really really works, and I, and I think ever because our dad just passed away. Ever since our dad passed away, I can feel the energy even more. So it's it's incredible when you have that faith and trust. And I'm not alone. And 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 you you've used that your whole life. Yeah. Your whole entire life you've used that. It's taken me a a while (laughs) to figure it out, but now I'm able to call on that power too and go, okay, I'm really starting to slip this way. I'm slipping that way. Yeah. And what I like to do is set an intention in the morning. Yeah. Today, this is what I need. And I ask, I need your help in this mm-hmm, I need me too. Help in marketing. Mm-hmm. I need help in my words. Yep. Just like when I introduced you, I just called on the power. What, how do you want me to introduce my beautiful sister? Aww. What words need to come through? So that's awesome. I have one more question for you. And it, um, what tips can you give um, parents and teachers to work together for the best value for their children? Because I know some parents get frustrated and then they, they either get angry or they don't stick up for their child and say, you know, my child's not reading correctly. They're behind. Right. 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 Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's a, that's a really great question. Um, and of course I'm not the know-it-all on anything. (laughs) Don't be fooled people. (laughs) But, um, I, I call what I call, um, this idea of parent school student, um, a community engagement triad is my own terminology that I use for it. And it's a triad because, um, in a triad, all, uh, again, I'm math, so it's a triangle, right? And all vertices of the triangle are equally as important. Families, schools, and students are the vertices of the triad. And so 
they are all important and must all um, be engaged in um, conversations and relationships at a very high level and at a just-in-time level. Mm. So it can't be that I'm frustrated that my child isn't reading and you let that go on. It has to be a just-in-time. Schools, teachers. Um, wow, this kid's really not reading very well. Hmm. Nope, just in time. As soon as you start seeing something happening, just in time communication with that family to say, hey, we want to get this right now. Here's what we can do in order to um, develop their reading skills a little bit better, right? Mm -hmm. and let's both make a commitment. What do you think? What do I think? Like that has to be. Remember I said it's a relationship and a relationship is a dialogue that goes back and forth. And if schools and parents and families, teachers, whoever it is that you're communicating, doesn't have that dialogue, that back and forth dialogue where they can problem solve together, mm -hmm. think about it together and come to an agreement together, not the school, here's what you must do. The family says, okay, what can I do to help? And the school says, let's figure out what we can both do to help our children, your child, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So for me, it's that stable, from families, what they really need to focus on is a stable, supportive environment for their child to be able to learn, right? Mm -hmm. They must be willing to have that communication with schools. Schools, the communication, their, their main job is, of course, a high quality uh, instruction and an inclusive learning environment. But schools in their communication must meet the families where the families need to be met. It doesn't go the other way. Families, you don't have to plug into what the school schedule is. Schools, you need to plug into what the family schedule is. Because again, I work with families from low socioeconomic environments, meaning that these families have two and three jobs. Both yeah. parents, if there's two parents in the family, or these kids are foster youth or, or, or different situations. And to say you come when it's good for us at the school, that's wrong. That's wrong. Yeah. It has to be flipped. Schools, yeah. if the only time a parent can meet with you is nine o'clock at night, you meet with them at nine o'clock at night. Yeah. I'm sorry. We have to put them, you know, as that priority. And then students, students, you better ask questions. You better <laughs> be curious. You better not take no for an answer in terms of whatever it is that you're asking. You need to open up a dialogue and it is your responsibility to do that. I understand wholeheartedly. Some environments and schools are not conducive to that. That again, right, is on the schools and the teachers to open up what that environment needs to be and look like. But families need to help us that as well. Families should mm -hmm. say, this is the type of environment that my child will thrive in. Mm -hmm. And don't just listen problem solve, think about it, and then do and act. So it's that community engagement triad. Communication is key. Dialogue is key. Being flexible, right, in how that looks and what that means is also key. I am so blown away with you. You're always using a triangle somewhere, sis. <laughs> I'm always using geometry or math. I can't help it. It's who I am. I love it so much. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for all the beautiful tips. And um, I hope a lot of people, you know, really get something out of this and that there is a real passionate people behind our school systems, like my sister, Anne. And so we need to give gratitude to you and to all the other people that work with you and help our children. So they will love that. And, and know that 
I don't want to paint a bleak picture of education. There's some amazing educators out there, amazing, doing amazing things, right? Um, We need to continue to support them, right? Mm -hmm. As we continue to morph the system to better meet the needs of our kids, provide the opportunities that they deserve. They all have gifts and talents. That's right. We need to help foster those, right? And lift those up instead of squish them down. Uh, as happens sometimes in our mm-hmm. system. So mm-hmm. thank you for letting me be here and to share, you know, my two cents. I love it so much. I'm such an honor. Thank you so much. And um, I will talk to you guys next time um, and have a beautiful day.